just going to read our scripture passage for today. It's, we don't have a slide for it, so just follow along. It comes out of Mark 8, verse 31, uh, sorry, verse 34 through 38. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his, uh, of his Father with his holy angels. This is God's word. Well, this is Labor Day weekend. <clears throat> I hope that means for many of you, you're getting some rest from your work. And uh, I think that's a great holiday. I think it's a great way to honor uh, the idea of labor is to be able to rest from it a little bit and to have a national holiday. Labor Day does make me think of my grandfather. Uh, on my dad's side, he worked in a, uh, he was a professional, professional laundromat worker. I, don't even, I didn't even know what that does. They clean clothes all day. But then he also uh, was a janitor, and so that was, his, what he, that was his side job. So imagine this, he'd work all day in pretty physically tough conditions, eat dinner, and then go out and clean offices. Uh, and, and he did that, that was his whole career. And, uh, and it, I mean, makes me think, what a grind. What a grind that must have been. And I wish I could, he died when I was 15. <clears throat> I wish I could have asked him what motivated him. How did he stay motivated to do that work? And, uh, you know, I think he would have, might have said something um, about his family, I'm sure. But he also struggled with drinking and alcoholism. He wasn't a drunk or anything like that, but it, it's something that plagued him. And so there were some demons in his life uh, that he wasn't quite able to escape. And probably a lot of us have family members that we can point to and maybe we're that, that person and we're making some pretty large sacrifices for our family in order to earn uh, income. You know, it's kind of interesting to me that a lot of us get to choose how we work, but a lot of our, our, those who went before us, our parents, grandparents, they had to do whatever it took to make ends meet, right? But what's interesting to me is the fight, despite the fact that we have a lot of choice in our career, that a lot of us get to kind of do and get paid for the work we kind of wanted to do, um, we're not necessarily better off. We're not necessarily happier. In fact, Jennifer Moss, uh, she's a workplace well-being guru. She wrote a book called The Burnout Epidemic. And she uh, was writing about what is, uh, is largely recognized as the rise of chronic stress uh, amongst us today. So even though we have more choice in what we do than, say, like my grandfather did, um, uh, we're not happier. We're actually more stressed out. And I think the reason is, is because the type of work we do isn't really the main issue. The type of work we do isn't what makes work, life and work feel like such a grind. It's really why we do it. It's really, really the question of, do we have a strong sense of purpose in the things that we are doing in life? Because I think that's what it means to be a human being. What really gets, 
What really allows us to thrive is that we have a great, a strong answer to the why we do things. Um, And if we lose sight of that purpose, or we don't have a strong enough sense of purpose in our life, then um, that can really be the difference between whether we thrive in our life or whether we begin to slip into a growing sense of lostness and frustration and even uh, nihilism. And so, uh, how do you pronounce that? Nihilism? Can't know how to pronounce that. Um, and so, Jesus has something to say to us about this. Jesus wants to get into the grind of life and help us really answer the question of what are we living for? And so I want you to sit with that question. What are you living for? Um, and, uh, and so he wants to help us answer that question so that we have a sense of meaning and purpose and thrill in life no matter our status in life. Whether we're kind of stuck in a job just to make ends meet, whether we're, we're in our dream job, whether we've had the family we wanted or didn't want, whatever life has thrown at us, Jesus wants to be able to thrive because we have this unshakable sense of purpose. And so just for some context leading up to our passage, <coughs> um, <clears throat> Peter had just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, And so, you know, you know, Jesus was with his disciples and he asked them, who do the people say I am? And, you know, they all say you're a prophet or you're this or that. And then Jesus said very, very pointedly, who do you say I, I am? And Peter gives the glorious right answer, you're the Christ. You're the one. You're the son of God. And uh, everything seems to be going well. And so Jesus says, okay, now that you guys know who that is, here's the deal. The Son of Man is going to have to suffer many things and is going to have to die and rise again. And Peter apparently can't handle it. Couldn't handle it, decides to rebuke Jesus, pulls him aside and says something like, that's never going to happen to you. And so Jesus then gives his most searing rebuke to Peter in response. The most searing rebuke I've ever heard Jesus give to anybody. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so I think for Peter, what, ended, what that reveals, what Jesus says in that rebuke, is that um, for Peter, Jesus was the way out of the hard life, right? He was in the grind. He was a fisherman. His, his people were oppressed by the Roman government. Life was not what he wanted it to be. And Jesus was gonna deliver for him the life that he had always wanted. And when Jesus starts talking about dying and suffering, Peter just sees red. I mean, it seems like he didn't even hear resurrection. That always confused me. Did you not hear resurrection? can't hear it. What's this talk of dying and suffering? And so Peter's vision was that Jesus would deliver for him the life he had always wanted for himself. And Jesus says, that's Satan talking. And so subtly, what can happen in our life is that we believe in Jesus. You know, I ask this question, what are you living for? And Probably a lot of us here, if we've been going to church for a while, we would say, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, so did Peter. But actually, what, what the problem is, is we have not gotten to the bottom of the purpose of that belief. 
Why are we believing in Jesus? Are we believing in Jesus to deliver us the life and kingdom we've wanted? That's the things of man. Or is the purpose of our belief to align us with the things of God? So do you see how we have to really get to the bottom of this? And so that's what this passage is doing. That's what Jesus is doing. He's going to define for us what it really means to believe in him. And so he says this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That word, um, we got our slides going. That word for um, uh, come after me is the word apiso. So if you've been a part of Solano for a little while, you've heard we have an opiso blog, right? An opiso blog. And so that's an important word to our church. It's an important word that we are people who want to follow after Jesus. We want to know what it means to be his disciples. Okay, that's why I'm excited about the, the Gospel Academy, the cohort being a part of it. We want to do everything we can to really get at that question. What does it mean to follow after Jesus? So Jesus here gives us the basic idea, three imperatives. We have to deny ourselves, we have to pick up our cross, and we have to follow him. So I just want to unpack these for a minute here. The idea of deny ourselves. Okay, you know, at, at first we may think this means we need to say no to ourselves. And I think that's true. There's going to be some things we naturally will want to do. But if we follow Jesus, we're going to have to learn to say no. We're going to have to learn to say no to some things that are kind of our natural impulses. But I actually think the idea of deny ourselves is bigger and broader than that. The idea of deny ourselves is really a posture that we need to take towards ourselves, particularly in light of Scripture. In other words, the posture of denial is that what I want, what I think, what I feel is not my final authority on what I actually do and how I live. And so, um, denying ourselves, I think, sounds like this. I think Jesus is building on language from the Old Testament, and I think it's really clearly said here in Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones." So notice how this gives us a picture of what it looks like to deny ourselves that we are not leaning on our own understanding. We're denying our own understanding as um, the infallible source of what I am going to do. We are acknowledging God in all of our ways. Nothing that we do, we live independent from our understanding of what God wants us to do, and he will make straight our paths. The more we bring God into every decision, into every thought, every feeling, the more we're able to discern, the more God gives us the ability to walk rightly. We're not to be wise in our own eyes. We're to fear the Lord and turn away from evil. In other words, what denying ourselves means is that we have a posture that the final authority on our lives isn't ourselves. It's God's word. It's what God says is the final authority. That's what it means to fear him, to not lean on our own understanding, to not be wise in our own eyes. So we're always willing to submit to what God says 
And so we have to deny ourselves, especially and often when push comes to shove. And so already what I, what I feel as I preach this is I'm going against the grain of culture. I'm going against the message of what culture is saying to all of us so strongly is that we actually have to just live out of everything that we want out of our own self, be true to ourselves. And this idea of denying ourselves just sounds like it's some kind of prison, some kind of ethical prison. Uh, and so that's why uh, we need the second imperative that Jesus gives. Our culture is saying one thing, but Jesus is saying you need to deny yourself and you need to take up your cross. You need to take up your cross. And so if denying ourselves is saying no to our natural impulses, pick up your cross is saying yes to the things we naturally wouldn't want to do. But even here, I think that the pick up your cross is trying to do something more. This, This is trying to give us a vision for how we're to live our life. A vision of what we're going for as followers of Jesus. And that vision is symbolized by Jesus Christ And the Roman cross. What is it to follow Jesus? Jesus says it looks like picking up your cross. And I think the cross conveys an image, first of all, of pain. It hurts. Meaning that to follow Jesus, we're going to have to learn to embrace uh, suffering. A certain kind of suffering that is distinctly not for yourself, but is for others. I think that's what it means to pick up your crosses. You begin to orient your life around the needs of others, even at the cost of your own comfort. And so it's a, it's, there's a hurtfulness to it, but also there's a shame to the cross. What is the cross used for? The cross in Roman times was for criminals. It was for especially, especially uh, Rome liked to use it for insurrection. And so the idea was this, get with the Roman program or be crucified. And so what Jesus is saying is, to come after me means you're going to have to live in a way that looks like insurrection to this world. I think that's what take up your cross is about. You're going to have to look, you're going to have to live in a way that goes against the grain of this world and you're going to stand out for that. Um, you're going to be persecuted for that. You're going to face shame from others for doing that. And Jesus says, that's what it means to follow me. Deny yourself and live in a way that looks like insurrection to this world. But thirdly, he says, do that and follow me. Do this in relationship to, to me. I was just meditating on this idea of following Jesus just to help us be motivated here. I think follow me is the follow me of association. Jesus is saying, as you go through life with me and you deny yourself and you pick up your cross, I want you to be with me. I want us to be on this journey together. I think it's the follow me of example. And Jesus is saying, I want you to do, I want you to live this way because I live that way. I am your example. I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done already. And it's the follow me of identity. I love that in the early church, they were called Christians as a pejorative term, which meant little Christs. They were like, they, they, they just kept wanting to be like Jesus. They were like little versions of him. And it was meant to mock them. 
But I think that's what Jesus is saying. Do this because you are, you're, you're proud to belong to me. And you're, you're proud to show that in the way you live. And so that's the call on us, this double call on us to um, come after Jesus. We're to deny ourselves. We're not to be the final authority in our life. We're to let scripture and God's word be that. And we're to say yes to God. To follow him in ways that the world does not say to do. The world does not call us to live that way, but we're going to do that. And now the barrier here, I think, is motivation. The barrier here is, you know, life already feels like a grind, and so Jesus is saying, so I want you on top of that, on top of everything else that's hard in your life, deny yourself and take up your cross. And let's all jump on that. Let's all just go for that together. And so Jesus knows that this is a hard thing for us to do. And so what he's going to do is he's going he's to draw a tight logical net around us and capture us with it. I want us to follow him as he motivates us to live this life. I want us to embrace his logic and let it change our hearts. Let's follow along. <clears throat> he says... He's just called us to deny ourselves, and then he says this, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? What Jesus starts to tap into is a motivation that we all have, and that is, he says, whoever would save their life, If you want to save your life, there's two ways you can do it. One of them will backfire. And one of them, you will find it. You will save your life. In other words, he's saying saying that all of us have a basic motivation that we're all striving for, and that is salvation. We want to experience salvation. And that's driving all of us right now. It's driving you right now. Now, what do I mean by that? What is salvation? I think salvation has two aspects to it. The first aspect of salvation is this idea of deliverance. Salvation is deliverance from bad things. We want to be saved from our enemies. We want to be saved from hostility, from our guilt, from shame, from loneliness. In other words, we want to be delivered from our deepest fears. That we're all driven by that. We do not want to experience some of the horrible things that we know are possible for us to experience. And we do everything we can to avoid that. Right? That's deliverance. But the second aspect of salvation is redemption. And that is that we're saved to something. We're saved to abundance and greatness and meaning and significance and love and approval and healing and wholeness. We're all seeking to have that. That is, salvation is not only deliverance from our deepest fears, it's redemption to obtain our deepest longings. That drives all of us. We all have our deepest longings and our deepest fears and we're looking to whatever we can in order to to have salvation. And the whole message of the gospel, the whole message of the Bible is God wants you to experience that. God wants you to experience salvation. Uh, He wants you to experience deliverance and redemption. And he says there's one way that will kill you. You're trying a certain way and it's not gonna work. And that is if you try to save yourself. 
If you try to be your own savior, your own savior, you try to live life according to your own design, your own wisdom, or according to what this world says, that is going to backfire. <clears throat> and the reason why is Jesus brings up this issue of our soul. He says, what good is it to gain the world and forfeit your soul? Um, he's saying there's nothing in this world that can save your soul. And so the idea of our soul is important. Jesus is calling attention to the fact that there is a part of you that is not of this world. There is a part of you, there is something about you that is eternal. That's what it means to have a soul. This world is physical. We can see this world. But there's something about you that's different. There's something about you that's unique, that's spiritual, that's eternal. And so the, the, the fact that we have these fears and the fact that we have these longings are actually, are, are, they're actually, they're, they are actually a result of the fact that you have a soul. And to borrow from C.S. Lewis, he makes the argument that when there are things in this world that we want out of this world that can't um, satisfy us, it points to another world. Remember that argument he made? So what Jesus is really kind of pointing out here when he, when he brings up the soul um, is that those fears we have of being rejected, of pain and sadness and lostness, they're actually a sign of the reality of an ultimate rejection. There is a forever sadness. There is an eternal place of pain and lostness. So our fears that we're trying to run from are actually a sign that there is, there is an ultimate reality to those fears. But at the same time, those longings that we have point to a place where love is perfected, where there is wholeness and healing and beauty and creativity and intimacy beyond our imagination. That's why Jesus says, let's talk about the soul here. In other words, our drive to be saved, the reason why we have these fears and we have these longings is really a result of our alienation from God. Our souls now fear. We fear because we know that there's something that isn't right. There is an impending doom and we can't shake it. No matter how much money we have, no matter how much friends we have, no matter how, much, how well we're doing, we can't shake this fear. But we also have this drive, this hope to be home. We have this drive to belong forever. And Jesus is saying, that's your soul talking. That's, there's, don't look to this world to save your soul. Live for that. Figure out what it means to be saved according to the eternal realities of your soul. And so this world isn't the place to find deliverance and redemption. And Jesus actually is saying here that the situation is dire. He says, what good is it to gain the world and forfeit your soul? And so Jesus makes the implication that our greatest fears are actually true. Our souls are forfeited. 
And there is nothing in this world that can change that. And Jesus is asking us, what are you going to do about it? We have nothing that we can give to make up for it. If our souls are forfeited, is there anything in this world that we can exchange for that? And Jesus is saying, no, there isn't. Why not? Why are our souls forfeited? In verse 8, verse 38 says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Look at the indictment that Jesus gives of this world. It is not neutral towards God. Jesus says this generation is sinful and adulterous. It is rebellion against God. So notice this language. Notice Jesus saying, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Notice it's not a guilt language. It's it's an honor-shame language. And and especially look look at the idea of adultery. Jesus brings in this idea of adultery. And what is that? Why is adultery a helpful description of what's wrong with the world and why our souls are forfeited? What is that about? Why is adultery so horrifying, first of all? Why is that something that is so, so painful? Because I think it, it, it gets at our sense of worth, right? When you are, are willing to commit to someone in marriage and say, I love you, I am making a vow to you, Right? We're saying that this thing that we have, I'm willing to be 100% devoted to it. I'm worth committing everything I have to this and no one else. Right? So that's the idea behind what marriage is. Marital love is the, a, a special kind of love that says this thing that we have is, is only for us. There's no one else that can be a part of this. Now, there's friendship love and there's family love, which can be spread out as much as we want, but marital love is unique. Marital love says, this kind of connection, I, we will, we, I will not share with anyone else. You are worth having that alone with you. And so adultery is saying, actually, you weren't worth it. And that's why it's so painful. And so we root for this kind of devotion and commitment and we, are, we rightly uh, condemn adultery between human beings. And what, this is the thing, this is what God is saying, this is what we miss, is that marriage, that special type of love, that special, special kind of marital love is actually a picture of what it means to be created by God. That's what it means to exist at all. And so this is a situation where we have to be careful what we ask for because most of us and most of this world, if if we talk about God, what do we want to be true of God? We want him to be loving. We want a God who is love. But God says, I am loving the way a husband is loving. I am loving, but my love is fierce. It's a jealous love. It's like love in marriage because it's, I am, I am the only one that we have this relationship with. I am your only creator. I am your only God. I will not share you with another. That's what it means 
for us to love God or for God to love us. But God is not just a human, that he is actually God. He is the source of all that is good and true and perfect. So when we say to God, I don't need you, I don't want you, I'll look elsewhere, when we commit that kind of adultery, we're actually rejecting the source of all that is good and true. And so that's why we become sinful and adulterous. And so we can't say we love God and not do what he says. That's what it means to love God. He's God. We're saying this is your world. You created this. You are the standard, not me. That's why to follow Jesus is to deny ourselves. And to take up our, take up our cross because this world rejects God's ways. But to love God means no, your ways are true. So Jesus gives us another option than to be our own savior and to fall in line with this sinful and adulterous generation. He gives us another option. He says, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Jesus is saying that you could live for yourself, your purpose can be for your own kingdom, or your purpose in life can be for the sake of the gospel. That everything you live for is because you want to see God's kingdom advanced. In other words, the Christian life is not a life that we live because we want to do the right things or the, the, we want to do good and we want to avoid bad. That's not why we deny ourselves, right? That's like, that's like telling an athlete that their whole purpose of being an athlete is to train. Why do athletes train, church? Because they want to win, Right? Why does Michael Jordan spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours at the free throw line? Because he wants to win the championship. What is your purpose? What do you want to get the glory? Jesus is saying, if you want to do, live that way for the gospel, for my sake, then you will experience salvation. And so because of that, the gospel is God's announcements that we are to return to God as our creator so that he can love us and we can love him and be devoted to one another. And that's what it means to exist. I think that's our deepest purpose. Because, you see, in the gospel, um, you see, we, we, what I've talked about is that God's love is fierce, right? He's like a husband, God's love is jealous and demanding. But you know what else it is? It's relentlessly sacrificial. Because when Jesus says your soul has been forfeited, the gospel is also an announcement that something has been given for your souls. The blood of Jesus was shed for us. And so the gospel is also not only a picture of a loving husband, a fierce, loving husband. It's the picture of a husband whose wife has spurned him, gone to other men, and he takes on the shame of that and welcomes her back and says, come back to me. That's what the blood of Jesus means. He took on the shame. 
He took on the shame of the fact that we have turned from him as our true God. And he welcomes us back so that we can find rest for our souls from our deepest fears and be filled with hope for our deepest longings. And the blood of Jesus means that he also knows we're sinful. He knows we're human. He knows we're going to struggle. He knows, and I love this, my favorite line of the song, we're prone to wander. He does know that too. And so the gospel is an invitation um, to stop running from God. And when he invites us into a life of deny ourselves and pick up our cross, it's because we have been won over to say, I want to live for God's kingdom, not my own. I want to live for the sake of God's kingdom, advancing in my life and in this world. But Jesus knows we'll struggle there. And so his blood means there is forgiveness for us. So come and be a part of that, knowing that you don't have to hide from me. You don't have to run from me. Come to me where you're really at. And he is there waiting with open arms every time. But the cross also means that this world has been indicted. God's kingdom is an insurrection against mankind. And the world thought it could kill the son of God for not falling in line. It thought it could put, hang him on a cross, but God rose again. And that is a warning to the hard-hearted and to the apathetic. And Jesus leaves us with those hard words that the son of God is coming back. He will not be spurned forever. And so the gospel, the gospel is about forgiveness, but it's also about unforgiveness. God will claim his worth. His kingdom will get the victory he will claim his glory all over the world because he created it. So the invitation is to come to him now before it's too late. There will come a point where he will come and if we have been ashamed of him and his kingdom, he will be ashamed of us. Our deepest fears will, will become true and our souls are forfeited. And so we are to respond to that every day of our life, daily take up our cross Daily follow him. Daily exhort one another. And so I want us to respond to this message today. I want us to respond intentionally, thoughtfully. By God's grace and God's spirit, today is a day that we have um, provided an opportunity for you to come up in the, in, during the service and receive prayer. Where you can come and talk to someone from our prayer team. I'll be up here as well to receive prayer. And I'm gonna invite you to think about how to respond to this message in a few ways. For some of you, maybe you need to come after and follow Jesus for the first time. This needs to be a decision that you feel convinced you are ready to make for yourself, not because you grew up believing this, not because you've been going through the motions, but you are ready to take up your cross and follow Jesus because you are sensing God calling you to do that. You believe it's true. You're tired of living for yourself. You're tired of living for your own kingdom. And you want to be sold out for Jesus. You want to live for him and follow him. And you want to do that with others. Come and receive prayer for that. Or you're not sure, but you're wondering if you want to do that. Come and receive prayer for that. Some of us, Another way to respond is that there are areas of our life we know we need to practice self-denial. 
we know there's areas of our life that we need to say no to or that are, that are not aligned with God's will. And the way we know that we're, we need to deny ourselves, the way we know there's something in our life where we need to practice self-denial is you feel conviction here today. There's something convicting you. That's the way the Spirit works in his people. As he gives you a sense of what I'm doing, the way I'm thinking living isn't right. And, and, and it's, not, it's not a guilt feeling that you have. It's conviction. It's conviction that says, I want to be my life to follow Jesus. I want to belong to Jesus. I want to be aligned with him. If you feel that today, come up and receive prayer for that. For others of us, maybe we're struggling to pick up our cross. In other words, maybe, maybe for some of you, there's areas God is calling you to live sacrificially for him. There's something that he wants you to do and say yes to, but it's hard. Maybe you've said yes, and it's a, you're struggling. Maybe you're not sure how to say yes, or if God's really calling you to that. And the way that I've tried to discern what, where those areas are in life, like where is God calling me to pick up my cross, as I, as I feel something similar to maybe what Jesus felt in the garden when he was about to go on the cross, remember how he experienced that? He said, Lord, if possible, take this cup from me. Like I really would rather not have to do this, but not your will, not my will, but your will be done. If you're feeling something like that, that's, that's probably God calling you to take up your cross. Okay, there's something that you say, Lord, really? I just would rather not but not, your, not my will, but your will be done. Is there something like that? Come and receive prayer for that. Come share that burden. Let us help you with that. And lastly, is there anything else? Just anything else you need prayer for? You know, this message was kind of about living, having our purpose be shifted from wanting Jesus to deliver our kingdom that we want to really living for his kingdom. And so, you know, maybe you just need encouragement. You need, you need prayer and encouragement of how to do that why to do that? That you even want to do that in the first place? Um, and so come and receive prayer for that or anything else. So John is going to come up and lead us in communion and then we'll guide us through the response time. So let me pray. <clears throat> Lord, this was um, a powerful message, I think, to hear from you about what it means to follow you. It just cuts against the grain, Lord. It means that we have to confront some things in our life that maybe we've not wanted to really deal with. Uh, but Lord, you um, uh, just wake us up with just a huge bucket of cold water when you remind us that our souls are at stake. Souls hang in the balance. Eternity hangs in the balance. What are we going to live for? We need to wake up to the utter logic of that, to the reasonableness of saying, Lord, I want to live for what is true salvation, what is eternal redemption, and what is eternal deliverance. Lord, thank you that you gave your blood so that we are not forfeit. Lord, that we can come to you, receive forgiveness, and live for you, even as we struggle to do that. Lord, that we recognize you are God, you are creator, and your kingdom is the true kingdom of the world, and we want to see that, and we know that anyone who comes into that kingdom, they too find perfect love, true salvation, and all their deepest longings and fears. Lord, you cover them. You are with them. Lord, help us live for that. So I pray for this prayer time. 
Lord, I ask that you would um, help us to come and bring into the light, bring into confession, bring into words the things that are on our heart that you are pressing on our heart here this morning. And may that be transformative for us as a church. Would you use this uh, to continue to lead us forward to truly come after you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.